Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a guest on the show and I am talking to Adrienne Paxosa all the way from Texas and she is the founder and chief clinical officer of Nourish, a national tele-nutrition company with all anti-diet dietitians. Adrienne is also a business strategist and coach for fearless practitioners. This is a company that helps private practice owners and dietitians build their businesses. Adrian has over 20 plus years of working with clients on their recovery and food freedom journey and is absolutely passionate about these issues. In the show today, Adrian is going to talk about changing nutrition by educating others about intuitive eating principles. And also, she is going to explore creating better access to care for those seeking recovery, something that is much needed. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Adrian today. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Adrian. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, I'm just so excited to be here, Harriet. So, Adrian, can I firstly get you to introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Sure. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Adrian Pexosa. I'm a registered dietitian and certified eating disorder specialist supervisor and also the chief clinical officer for Nourish, which is a virtual tele-nutrition company in the United States. Okay, great. Well, great to have you here today. And are you based in Texas, Adrian? I live in Texas, but Nourish is actually, we're, goodness, I think as we're recording right now, we are in about 38 states. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> goodness me. Wow. So, and did you sort of start off like face to face or was, have you always been like an online business? Yeah. So the story goes, so I started the practice about 17 years ago and it was the normal, just me seeing patients in person, face to face. And one of the kind of key principles I've always thought about was accepting insurance and being affordable and accessible to everybody, which is not always the case in the US. Some people don't accept insurance in that. And so over the course of the 17 years, slowly started to grow and grow and grow and added more dietitians to really bring access to care. And this past year partnered with a technology company and had the help to really bring it to, to the masses and really take it to that virtual kind of platform to really reach the far nooks and crannies of the small towns that don't have eating disorder support or just any type of dietetic support. Mm, goodness me, that's amazing. I mean, I think <laughs> you've created something very powerful there, haven't you? You know, congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's It makes my little passion and purpose heart very happy every day. <laughs> mm. And you also train dietitians, do you, to sort of work in business and sort of that side of things? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So before we partnered with the technology company, that's something I definitely was passionate and still am passionate about is really helping other practitioners and providers really learn how to be successful in business because we lead with our hearts. We lead with that caring attitude, which sometimes 
business is the last thing on our mind. And so how do you balance both of those of having a successful business and still following that passion and purpose of why you became a provider? Mm, Wonderful. Well, I know that quite a lot of nutritionists, dietitians, and mental health professionals generally listen to this podcast as well. So if they wanted to get in touch with you about that side of things, is that still a program that's still open? Are you still running that side of things? Sadly, no, I had to pause it with this <laughs> national company. I had to listen to all of the wonderful advice from mental health providers of, you know, setting boundaries and taking care of myself. So I am practicing what I preach and what I've learned from all of y'all. And I needed to step back and just do one thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> So at Nourish, you provide some nutritional support on lots of different issues, don't you? But one of those areas is eating disorders and disordered eating. And I wondered, like, what are the sort of common presentations that you see with people at the moment with sort of disordered eating, eating disorders? I mean, is it across the board or are you seeing more of, you know, a specific type of eating disorder or... Yeah. You know, it's actually really interesting. I was thinking about this before we chatted today and I uh, was talking to some of our dietitians and was kind of wanted to hear from them as well. Like, have you guys seen any shifts? Because we do see everything from somebody that's stepping down from a higher level of care to somebody that is newly diagnosed, all of the different sides of the spectrum. But actually what we've noticed, which is really interesting, and I'm so excited is we're starting to see more patients that are male identifying coming in because of the ability to use telehealth. And so there's that kind of drop of stigma where possibly coming into the office and person has always kind of prohibited them. And so it's a really interesting shift that we're starting to see is more male identifying patients. Mm, Gosh, that's so interesting, isn't it? And so positive, actually, because I think there's been a lot of stigma, hasn't there, about men sometimes being able to access eating disorder support or perhaps feeling that the support that's offered is relevant and really speaks to them. Yes, I'm just so excited to be that resource, to have that platform and to also just really create that safe place where people do feel like they can get help with whatever they're struggling with. Mm. And when sort of with the males that have come into your clinic, I know it's a bit of a stereotype sometimes, but do you find that they come often into eating disorders more via the perhaps the fitness route and, you know, wanting to be more muscular and lean and then falling into disordered eating patterns in that way? Or is it sort of like across the board? You know, it's really been across the board from somebody that might be struggling with substance use disorder, and they're now kind of in a phase of their recovery where they're not using a substance, but now their eating disorder popped up again, or they're not able to tolerate intense emotions. And so their coping skill and they were little was restriction. And so now it's popped into a full-blown eating disorder. So it's really hit all the gamuts that we see in the female identifying population same in the male identifying population, which is, of course, like, wow, this really is like a whole non-gender, non-sexual identifying kind of mental health disorder. Mm, Yeah, and it's so fascinating and just really interesting for you to share that, actually, because I think there's still so many sort of assumptions and misunderstandings, I think, around, you know, male identifying people and eating disorders. Yeah, it really, it's been... 
a great learning experience for all of our dietitians and me included of just like, oh, okay, this is just wonderful. And what can we do more to help all eating disorder people that are struggling, but really this population that we're seeing a increase reach for help. Mm. So how do you work at Nourish? Because I'm guessing that, you know, obviously this is more sort of nutrition, dietetics focused mm. rather than yeah. psychology. So do you have that kind of a program or like, what, how does it work? You yeah, know, great question. <laughs> uh, so there's three different ways people can kind of find us. People can self-identify and sign up online. They can, a physician or a mental health provider can submit a referral or also family members can also refer on. And so once somebody is kind of in our system of, okay, I'm ready to see a registered dietitian, I'm going to choose what I want to come in for. So a lot of times people will choose emotional eating or eating disorders, and we pair them up with a dietitian that is licensed in the state that they are in, that is on the insurance that they have. And then at the time. So they might get three or four different profiles of different dietitians that meet kind of what's going on and that might specialize in eating disorders for that patient. And then the patient's able to schedule online and they get kind of a welcome packet via email or text message and all of the information. And then they pop in onto their session virtually and meet their dietitian. And in our kind of program pathway, that first appointment is a whole bunch of data collection. So we want to get to know everything about this patient of what kind of is going on currently, what has gone on in the past, anything going on medically, any medications coming in, supplements, what does a day look like in your life? When you wake up, what do you eat? What do you don't eat? Anything going on in behaviors? How are the weekends different? So it's just us really learning about this patient. How is your GI system? Are we experiencing any gas or bloating, constipation, diarrhea, all of those things? And so from there, we like to see our patients weekly because so much happens in between those 168 hours in a week. And so we start slowly depending on what actually is going on. If somebody is needing to slowly make peace with their food and body, and we want to start very gentle, but with all of our eating disorder patients, we require them to have a mental health provider as part of their care team. And once we get that release of information signed on our patient side, we're able to communicate with that therapist, psychiatrist, a physician, and really have a collaborative approach to this kind of recovery process. Mm, yeah, and sure. I know that collaboration sounds really amazing, actually, just having all that treatment joined up. It's really nice because a lot of teams, things will pop up in our session that are 100% outside of our scope of care of like, oh, I'm so sad. And we hear all of the things that are going around that emotion. And of course, we can hold space and, you know, empathize, but I don't know what to do with sadness. I'm like, oh, well, that's an emotion. Um, <laughs> that's a wonderful thing. And I'm so glad you're sharing. And let's make sure we talk to our therapists about that, of what to do with that. And I know I'm over simplifying sadness, but I wanted to share that. But I think that it makes it really collaborative because I think food and our emotions somehow got stuck together. And that's kind of the roller coaster of this eating disorder or disordered eating pattern. And so being able to separate out, okay, talk to your mental health team about these emotions. And you and I are going to talk about food and the cool science behind it and how to really nourish your body. And 
that's about it. And who you are and what you stand for in the world, that's for you and your therapist to talk about. Sure. So I'm guessing as well, like when many people come to you, like, you know, they may be struggling with disordered eating, eating disorders, perhaps they've also got sort of gut health issues Mm -hmm. or nutritional deficiencies and you know, I know many people kind of come into therapy sometimes with a very disordered relationship with food, and they kind of want to jump straight into intuitive eating principles, which, you know, I know you and I both are very supportive of those principles. <laughs> but I'm wondering sort of first, earlier on in the process, I guess there are probably some steps in between, aren't there, perhaps before someone can jump into intuitive eating? Oh, oh, so many steps. And <laughs> it's... <laughs> just because we want to make sure we have a good foundation. And one of the parts of intuitive eating is you have to be mindful and aware. And if we're so stuck in our head and not in our body, it's really hard to listen to our hunger, to honor our hunger, to really know what I want to eat. So there's a lot of foundational work that we need to work on. And then if we layer on top, of that, if somebody has some GI issues, which there's some great research that shows people with PTSD, I think the latest research, I want to say almost 75% of the people diagnosed with PTSD have some type of GI issue. (laughs) We really need to kind of address that first because it's no fun when our tummy hurts and we can't concentrate. And then you want me to think about what I want to eat and be mindful about chewing and, oh, what? No, oh, but my tummy hurts. So it's just so hard to, again, get out of our head and into our body. So we do a lot of that foundational work of, okay, what does your body need? And let's kind of get to some of those root causes. If there's some GI issues going on, but let's get nourished. And then we'll layer on the principles of intuitive eating and being mindful and present. Mm, yeah no that sounds fantastic and when people like start to embark on looking at intuitive eating principles I mean I know a lot of people will kind of say oh I've tried intuitive eating it didn't work for me because I just sort of ate donuts all day or whatever (laughs) (laughs) but I'm just thinking like how do you sort of approach that like you know do you sort of like you know are you introducing all the principles kind of like you know at a time or do you do it one by one or just depend on the client like how, yeah. how do you go about it <laughs> <laughs> I always say you know the client is the greatest guide I kind of have this vision in my head you know we are going on this adventure together I've got the map and I've got all this great backpack full of tools but you have to tell me which way to go and so we're going to try some of these tools, intuitive eating out, but you have to let me know if this feels good, if it doesn't feel good, if it makes sense, if it doesn't, if we're eating donuts all day and that doesn't feel good, like, awesome, let's figure this out together. And so I definitely encourage people to have those open conversations with patients and also it is a process. And I think when people say intuitive eating didn't work for me, I'm like, cool. Okay. Well, where were you in that journey? And maybe we're just getting into food freedom and it was just so exciting and then overwhelming. And then I just can't do it. And so it's one of those, how do we really get through those different phases and do all that emotional work with the therapy team and all of that. So it's, it's a good team approach when it comes to bound to it. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're so right. I think you, as well, when you've had a sort of long disordered relationship with food it's going to take a bit of time isn't it to heal and I think people are so used to sort of diets aren't they and quick fixes and maybe they're trying to sort of like approach intuitive eating in the same way and it's just they're not being fair on themselves are they 
Oh, so true. They're like, well, this diet isn't working. I'm like, it's not a diet. <laughs> so yeah, I think it just, that's a whole wonderful conversation to have with patients too, is this isn't a diet. This is just a new tool and how we begin to have a better relationship with food and eventually ourselves. So it's definitely, I always think of it as just a beginning to a, a new mind shift around our body and our food. Yeah, and no, absolutely. I know in the US, as in the UK, you know, we still live in this very toxic diet culture, don't we? Where we are still sort of idealizing thin bodies, there's still so much weight stigma, so much fat phobia, social media doesn't help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know like sort of the government in the UK, the way they tend to intervene, you know, with good intentions is sort of trying to, you know, focus more on the kind of physical health and like telling children they shouldn't be eating sugar and all of those kind of things. And, you know, I think we've just got an explosion of eating disorders in this country, mm -hmm. as I'm sure in the US, and I think particularly after the pandemic and all of that stress. But I just wonder as well, it's like a big question, really. But like, what do you think about sort of how we really shift diet culture in a more profound way? Because of it, it really needs some like going to the roots, doesn't it? And digging oh. this up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we were going to, if mm -hmm. I could wave my magic wand and like shake up diet culture and like really throw it on its head, I would get rid of social media <laughs> just because, I mean, we now have research that shows that social media has increased eating disorders among teens and tweens. Like we just know that there's so much toxic comparison out there and the use of different hashtags that were once positive are now negative. And like, there's just so much that on social media. And so if I could do one thing to really have a ginormous impact, I would love, 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 love to get rid of social media. And I also know that that will never happen and possibly in my lifetime. So I think what us as mental health providers and eating disorder advocates can really do is find ways to support patients and maybe getting off social media, cleaning up their social media, being a positive influence on social media. I think a lot of times people will step back and like, oh, I'm not going to be part of this conversation. Or how can we also be a louder voice in the social media conversation. I don't have those answers, but these are all like my magical wishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so interesting, isn't it? Because I think, yeah, like it's not going to happen, is it? But like your radical magic, magic wand waving of getting <laughs> rid of social media. I mean, it would have such a profound impact, wouldn't it? I mean, people would be up in arms as well about it, but it would absolutely have such a profound impact because of it's just, I think the comparison mindset, I just think more and more with the people I'm working with, mm. it's just become such a normal thing, hasn't it? To kind of compare and despair and, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's intense and it's really interesting. We all, all of us fall into it in our own insecurities. And if you don't recognize it, and these are all the things I've learned from all of the mental health providers, that's when you can go down the rabbit hole and really start to beat yourself up. So I think it's just a comparison is just ugh, awful. 
Mm, yeah no I love what you were saying though as well about kind of it sounds like you said really it would be encouraging people to take more responsibility like clean up their feed have a voice you know perhaps yeah. be more curious as well yeah it's a challenge isn't it but you, you've yeah. almost got to like radically haven't you? you've got to get into your own lane and radically have boundaries and really protect yourself yeah it's hard and I think that's the other piece is social media makes Everything looks so easy peasy, lemon squeezy, but this is hard stuff. And that's why I think it's, we don't see it. And so I think us talking about it and just having those honest conversations, like cleaning up social media is hard. Being radical is hard. And so I think that it's a journey we can all do together. Small steps. (laughs) Yeah. Small steps is always what I'd say. (laughs) So Adrienne, I know another thing you're very passionate about is just like getting, allowing people better access to care and recovery. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like with your new technology, (laughs) it sounds like you're, you know, really stepping into that place now to be able to make your service accessible to so many people all over the US. And is it all over the world? Or is it the US? Right now, just in the US. That's, I hope and hope and hope we have those goals to be all over the world. But we got to conquer one country at a time. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, that it just sounds amazing, actually, that like you're already saying, you know, it's opened up opportunities, perhaps as well for some groups that weren't accessing therapy or accessing dietetic support before. But what do you think, you know, historically have been some of the real barriers to getting the right eating disorder, disordered eating support? Yeah, I think, and this, I'm just speaking from my own experience with patients. And so what I've noticed in the past, a couple of things is cost. I would have patients that would transfer from other dietitians just because they couldn't afford the out-of-pocket cost anymore. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I get it. I get it. So I think cost is a big one. And I also think providers that have great education and supervision. As dietitians, we don't get a lot of training in eating disorders. I think in, gosh, it was 20 years ago when I was in school, gosh, maybe more. Mm -hmm. I think I got a piece of paper on what is anorexia nervosa? What is bulimia nervosa? And that was it. I don't even think there was a chapter in our textbooks or had a discussion. And so Mm -hmm. I think really normalizing for dietitians, what does that look like to have advanced training, advanced supervision? I am a huge fan of supervision where you are kind of under another dietitian or therapist for a while, learning, growing, talking things out, really understanding these very complex cases because just jumping into eating disorders, it's scary. And so I think having supervision is beyond helpful for a professional. Mm, Yeah, no, it sounds so helpful, doesn't it? So I think as well, one thing that's tricky as well sometimes is when someone has an eating disorder, I think sometimes as well, it can be quite seductive to want to work with a dietitian or nutritional provider to sort of like talk about food, but not actually Mm -hmm. make active changes around food. 
And I think it's really challenging, isn't it, as a professional as well, sometimes, because you really want to support and help that person. Mm. But sometimes, you know, I think it's quite difficult to set boundaries sometimes, you know, I sort of think of, you know, dietitians that I've worked with professionally sometimes. And I know I struggle this, with this myself as well, sometimes as a therapist, but, you know, almost like proactively really supporting them kind of going forward with active recovery rather than perhaps getting a little bit stuck in like talking about food, but not making active change. Yeah. But it feels like, you're still kind of changing, even though you're not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. And it's so interesting too. That's one of the great things that we've been able to kind of explore with this virtual setting is great. You're at home. Let's go into the kitchen. What you got in the pantry? Awesome. Let's cook together. Let's have a meal together. Let's have a snack together. Let's go to the grocery store together. So it's actually been a little bit more I don't know what the best word is to use here, but accessible to kind of do some of that experiential work with patients in a virtual setting that sometimes in the in-person, yeah, people could bring food in, but nine out of 10 times, I don't know if other dietitians have experience, I would have patients forget to bring in their snack or forget that we were doing that food exposure today. And so we would just have to kind of do what we would just sit and talk as opposed to actually do the activity. So that's one of the nice things in the virtual setting is we kind of get our hands dirty more. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that sounds like really just very creative experiential work, which is, you know, I mean, it sounds like when you're saying it out loud, it seems such an obvious thing to do, but it's something that I don't think many people have access to that kind of support. So, I mean, I think it's really incredible, actually, what you're doing there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think every dietitian is just like, oh, I get to eat with patients. This sounds so exciting. Oh, this is amazing. And so I think also that having that permission of like, yeah, this is part of the recovery journey is to model mindfulness, model kind of what is it like to nourish yourself. And so to, and also to have that safe space for patients to eat with another person if they're struggling with eating with other humans. So yeah, it's a fun way to be creative with food and recovery. <laughs> mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's those kind of actionable steps that are really powerful, aren't they? Because I think, you know, with all of us, we can talk about change till the cows come home, can't we? And get in our heads <laughs> about it, you know, about anything, but actually kind of being supported to do the change and to live through it. I mean, that is incredible. I think, you know, such valuable work. Oh, thank you. We have fun. We have, we, we like to do the work and have fun. I'm <laughs> mm, sure. And I think what sounds really amazing as well is obviously your sort of dietitians are really sort of experienced and specialized as well in eating disorders, disordered eating and have that understanding. Because I think as well, like you're saying back in the day, you got very little training on all of that. And I think <laughs> you know, dietitians as well, historically, were sort of trained much more to just like really focus on weight loss, weren't they? And, you know, maybe not to be able to be just so aware of eating disorders, disordered eating. Oh, big time. So all of our dietitians are trained to practice from a weight inclusive lens. So even the ones that aren't seeing patients in eating disorders, they don't have the training. Somebody's coming in with diabetes, they're still practicing from a weight inclusive lens. It's something that's really key in our clinical philosophy and our approach to care is to meet patients where they are, to have that safe collaborative environment and pretty much do no harm. And Mm. we know that there's so many issues with weight stigma, weight cycling. So if we can be that 
beacon of hope or <laughs> sound mind and evidence that we can really help somebody with any diagnosis, not only eating disorders and disordered eating from a weight inclusive lens, we hope to really have a larger impact. Mm, yeah, but that's so great to hear because I think so many people perhaps don't even realize and you know that they have an eating disorder, do they? They've kind of been in this sort of disordered eating cycle maybe for so long, like sort of dieting and then perhaps binge eating, but they've always perhaps thought of an eating disorder as more the kind of, you know, stereotype, I guess we tend mm-hmm. to think of like anorexia, that sort of adolescent girl. And, you know, and I guess eating disorders are just so much broader than that, aren't they? And I think, you know, I'm finding just in with my work, actually, I'm having more and more people that are coming into get help now who maybe in their 50s and 60s and have just never had help before because they just didn't even realize they were struggling so it's so great that you're you know you're obviously like you know opening your doors kind of wide really so people with all different kind of eating disorders disordered eating can access that support we're hoping we're hoping we're able to really be that support and it really is fascinating that people are starting to self-identify as like huh I have a weird relationship with food or, huh, I emotionally eat or, huh, is it normal to always count calories or points? And so it's just, we've had a lot of people self-identifying that it doesn't feel normal or they're sick and tired of trying every new diet out there. So it's, that's also been really interesting as well as people starting to just be fed up with the diet industry. And of course, I'm just like cheering them on. I'm like, yes, you're in the right place. We got you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it's great, isn't it? Like the tide is turning, isn't it? Like so many people are reaching that point of just diet exhaustion and realizing actually I need to work more on my relationship with food. But yeah, we've still got more work to do, haven't we, to get those messages out. For sure. For (laughs) sure. I definitely agree with that. It's great to see the tides change, but you're like, oh, we've got an ocean and we're (laughs) here we go. (laughs) (laughs) So Adrienne, it sounds like really helpful that you're kind of working with people in all sizes of bodies and sort of, you know, sounds like kind of health at every start size and kind of, you know, working. Oh, yeah. I think it's, again, it's health is so personal and it's something a lot of us I think don't really give a lot of thought to. And so one of the things we really like to do with patients is ask them, how do you define health without a number or a weight? How would you define health or being healthy to you? Because what my definition for me and my lived experience and how I'm walking around this world is going to be totally different than a patient's experience. And so we really like to have somebody define what does healthy mean to you? And that's what we're going to use as a guide as where are we going? So it might be jumping around with their little humans. It might be being able to go skydiving at 85, who knows, whatever they decide healthy is, but we really want it to be something that is personal to them, that has value for them. And it's really interesting. I think most of our patients really stop and pause and they're like, huh, I've never thought of that. I've always defined health as a weight. And so it's been a really fun journey. Mm, yeah, and I think that's just so valuable, isn't it? It's such a valuable perspective to come back to the client's point of view and help them really define health and help them get it back in touch with their values and like what's really mm-hmm. important to them. And I guess it's just so different for everyone, isn't it, really? It really is. And I think 
and wish it would be like, oh, just broad strokes. This is what it is and all of that. But it's so individualized. And I hope, I hope, I hope our medical community is slowly getting into more individualized care. But I know just like social media, that's a whole other ocean to battle. But I think for the mental health world, it's just one of those, how do we empower and hold space for individuals that are really wanting to figure this all out for themselves? (laughs) Yeah, no, it sounds brilliant. So Adrian, where can people find you if they want to know yeah, more about the work you do or, or if they're US-based and want to like make an appointment? Yeah, we're just, our website is usenourish.com and on all the social medias, it's usenourish. So we're out there. We're just plugging along. Nothing too exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I should make sure, Adrian, that we put all the details in the show notes. So yeah, people can get in touch if they want to, because I think it sounds like you're doing some amazing, incredible work. And I'm sure that many people listening have got a large sort of audience from the US. I'm sure many people will want to get in touch. Oh, well, we're happy to help and be a resource for anybody that's needing anything. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much, you know, for coming on the podcast, Adrian. I think, you know, just very inspiring to just hear your energy and the groundbreaking work you're doing and just being really kind of creative and stepping outside the box. So, you know, I think I'm sure loads of people are going to be very inspired by this episode. And yeah, keep doing the great work. Oh, thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Adrian's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. Just a flag that if you are wanting one-to-one therapy, I have got quite a long waiting list at the moment, but you might be interested in my online course, 10 Steps Towards Intuitive Eating. It's a great introduction towards the way I work if you are sort of overcoming an eating disorder or disordered eating and 50% off that at the moment. So if you go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk, you can find out more info there. Just to mention as well, I am going to be running an incredible event in London on Saturday, the 30th of September, with a lot of other colleagues, other professionals who work in eating disorders and body image. We're all coming together in London. It's going to be a ticketed event where we're going to be like selling tickets to people really soon and getting you all together to really explore prevention strategies for eating disorders, really getting to kind of the ground roots level and how we approach working with food, body image, mental health as a society, because I think there's a lot of change that needs to happen, as you are aware. So very exciting. And I'll be mentioning more about that on the podcast. So listen out. And also I will be posting on Instagram about that. So watch this space. Thank you so much for listening today. And thank you as well, everyone who is following, rating and reviewing this podcast. It really helps it reach so many more listeners. And I'm extremely grateful. I do read all of the reviews and I'm incredibly, yeah, incredibly appreciative of them. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.